It's Fox Top 5, the podcast where the hosts always agree to disagree. This week on Fox Top 5, Fox News contributor and host of Crimes That Changed America on Fox Nation, Emily Campagno. I would, I would just follow you anywhere. Like, everything you say is so convincing. And host of Fox Nation Outdoors and the proud American podcast, Johnny Joey Jones. Like have the opportunity to use your imagination and don't take everything so seriously. Come together to share their top five favorite pieces of advice. Here are this week's hosts, Emily and Johnny. Welcome to Fox Top 5. I'm Emily Campagno, host of Crimes That Changed America on Fox Nation. And today I am joined by my great friend, Johnny Joey Jones, host of Fox Nation Outdoors and host of the podcast, Proud American, on the Fox News Podcast Network. Hey, Joey, how's it going? It's going great. How are you? I'm good. So what was your morning like tonight? Was it pretty, or today, was it pretty stressful? Or do you, did you have everything done with your new baby and being a dad? <laughs> how's that going? Oh, it's easy. My, my baby, she climbed up on the second shelf of the bookshelf in the game room. And I don't know how she got there. Like if I didn't, like if I took my legs off, I don't think I could get up there. And so <laughs> she's, showing some, she's showing some athletic talent. So I'm a pretty proud dad this morning. Oh, that's awesome. I'm not surprised. Well, as you know, every week on this podcast, different Fox hosts, reporters, and personalities get together to share their top five of any given topic. And this morning, we were thinking everyone needs a little advice every once in a while, whether it's from a friend or a stranger. And sometimes words of advice can bring comfort. So in that spirit, we are here to share our sage wisdom with our top five favorite pieces of advice. So, Joey, how did you, by the way, come to your list? What sort of went into you compiling these pieces of advice we're going to share today? You know, some of these have been with me my entire life, thanks to my dad, and we'll get to those a little later. And then some of them, you know, I was watching a movie last night, and something popped up into my head, and I'm like, you know what, I need to share this with people. And then, you know, we talked, and I think there's one that we kind of have in common. So these are all solid pieces of advice I think will get you through tough times and maybe a few laughs, too. Number five. Okay, well, then let's get started. So, all right, what is your first piece of advice for us? Well, I think this is the one that maybe we have in common, which is like how to do public speaking and kind of like how to be comfortable with it and find your own voice and uh, and just be really, you know, comfortable at it. Because being comfortable at it is being good at it, no matter what it is you have to say. And um, I think you even have a pretty good story about it, don't you? (laughs) Well, okay, so mine is kind of similar to yours and it's having confidence. And first of all, I think that you are an incredible speaker, Joey. And so I love that you sort of acknowledge that the fundamental base for that is your comfort because you seem so at ease and you always seem so natural. And I think that's what sets apart in our industry, whether a viewer feels comfortable, right? Because if I if I see that someone's nervous, then I get nervous. You know, it's like you take your cue from the bride at a wedding. It's the same with a speaker. And my piece of advice for public speaking is confidence. And I will never forget one of the many times that I had to go to traffic school. We were (laughs) put into groups and like for some reason, for like hours, we were in these groups and we had to answer all of these questions. And I sort of became the like de facto team leader. And we had to come to consensus of all of these questions. And I was dead wrong on every question, but I persuaded the group on every single concept that I was right and that my answer was the good one. And there was like a woman in the group and she was like, Emily, I would I would just follow you anywhere. Like 
everything you say, it's so convincing. And the, the funniest part to me and why I share this with you is how I was so dead wrong with everything. And because, you know, all of these hypotheticals <laughs> were like weather related. It was like what to do in a snowstorm, you know, and I, I'd never lived in snow, like all this funny stuff. But it really illustrated to me, I was like, gosh, but if you if you appear like you know what you're talking about, that's 90% of the battle. And of course, on air, you and I, are, we do our preparation, we do our data. We're not just guessing there, but I do think that that level of confidence is the largest thing that one can do for speaking effectively. No, you're absolutely right. And, and I think it starts with, which is ironic in that it's a little bit different than what you just said, almost the opposite. I always tell people like, talk about what you know and don't let your ability to form a sentence outrun your knowledge and experience. And that's the most important thing on TV. Like you can get asked a question that you may not have a good answer for. And the best thing you can say in that moment is, I don't know, rather than making something up and going down this path that you may not need to go down. But in our business, that's what people have a, a tendency to do. It's in their nature to please and bring forth an idea. But when people are talking about public speaking to a crowd, it's real simple. If you're talking to a hundred people or a thousand people, those are just one-on-one -on -one conversations and always look at it like a conversation, not a, not a, a lecture and you'll read their faces. The audience speaks back to you with their facial expressions and their nods and their smiles. And then you can pick up on those cues. And the last thing I'll say, which is super simple, but really important is make notes, not a script. No, you know, write down what it is you want to say as far as the topics you want to hit, but don't write down a script, because you'll focus on that and you'll lose all your personality. And quite honestly, making a mistake when public speaking can be your most enduring moment. The first thing I say in front of a crowd is, Hi, I'm Joey. I was a bomb tech and then I pointed my legs and go, obviously I wasn't that good at it. And if you can make fun of yourself, <laughs> everyone will be in there for the long haul. I love it. That's great. Number four. So my next piece of advice, I think is something that we all need to understand. I live in the town where they make Marvel movies and they have this saying here in Fayetteville, Georgia called suspend your disbelief. But my piece of advice to people, especially those in industries that they make movies about, is don't sharpshoot movies. Like the best example of this I have is I was at a Marine Corps base in the early 2000s watching the movie Wolverine. And this man who has metal coming out of his hands that can't die or get older, rides a Harley Davidson, jumps off the Harley Davidson, slices through a helicopter and lands back on an up-armored Humvee that's chasing him. And this Marine in front of me goes, that's bull crap. A Humvee can't go that fast. And I'm like, dude, <laughs> that's where they lost you. That's the moment that you, that you got lost. And so just, you know, this is kind of funny because it's about movies, but it's also in life. Like have the opportunity to use your imagination and don't take everything so seriously. And maybe apply that back to Twitter every now and then too. <laughs> I love that piece of advice, Joey. And I have to say that my favorite superhero um, comic is X-Men and my favorite character is Wolverine. So I'm so happy that you brought him up because I love, I just, I love him so much. that character. Um, okay, so mine is sort of similar uh, in a lighthearted quality. And it's my, my number one piece of advice for being an NFL cheerleader. And if you, you know that I was a cheerleader for the Oakland Raiders while I was an attorney also. And as I always say, being a cheerleader is way harder than being an attorney. And I was thinking about this in my preparation for today of like really what is my number one piece of advice because honestly I learned volumes from being in that role um, so much. And I think the number one thing though is that you are always on. 
And similar to your piece of advice just now, mine can translate into all walks of life. And I have, I feel like all of my anecdotes are like painting me in this horrible light. You guys think I'm <laughs> the worst driver ever. Um, but one day we were, so we were, we were on very strict schedules. We had a very strict uh, disciplinary regimen and, you know, we were fined if we were late and probably similar to the Marine Corps, if you're, if you're on time, you're late. So I was headed toward an event and, um, was late because Bay Area traffic and, or I, I shouldn't say I was late. I was like fearing being late. So I was driving like a maniac and, you know, in my uniform traveling jumpsuit or whatever, and passed a car that was like driving super slow in the fast lane and I'm like like so annoyed and I look over and in that car were a bunch of fans headed to that event and I could tell because of the uniforms that they were wearing because it involves kids and stuff and I was like <gasps> you know horrified <laughs> they didn't see me but I like quickly got in line and I was like gosh you know those like those little moments you think you're you're you know the person you're standing with in the elevator is a stranger like or you you think when you're driving someone doesn't notice but it was an application that you really are all the time on. And you mentioned Twitter. That's a simple way of always remembering that what you do is, is published. What you put out there is, is permanent, quote unquote, in the internet realm. It's always discoverable, but so too is our behavior. And even if we think we're alone, it's just helpful to always know that you're on and you're always representing something larger than yourself. Um, and another quick anecdote too that I remember because I have so many that involve driving because again, California, but um, I got into <laughs> a small accident also on my way to an event. So I was standing on picture a multi-lane freeway where everyone converges to get to the toll booth to cross the bridge, standing in the middle of that, like in the triangle in the middle, in my uniform, again, traveling tracksuit with people like shouting out the window, like, yo, can they get a calendar? And like, go Raiders. And like, it was so, it was awesome, but it was mortifying at the same time. But, um, you know, wearing a uniform is an easy way of recognition, but I think it's better to just apply it to life in that 24 hours a day, we are on. Now, I think you're absolutely right. And I love that. I've Number one, I don't know how you can be a cheerleader that requires like gymnastics and smiles and personality. And it's like the full package to go out there and do it. So I have a lot of respect for it. I used to live with a professional cheerleader in the house and she was very impressive because she kind of was, you know, Clark Kent by day and Superman at night. You know, it's like it was just crazy. She had two careers at once. And uh, and it's what you're saying. You're a lawyer and a cheerleader. But the idea that you're representing an organization, not only just the brand on your chest, but now you're with your face and voice and everything you say and do, um, make, one, make sure that's an organization that you want to be a part of. And two, if you do number one, I think number two gets a lot easier is just simply do it right, do it with respect. Totally. And I, I think it helps serve if you to always strive for the really, the truly best that you can be if you are representing something that you believe in, like you want to make them proud. You know, whether it's your last name and, and that is an honor that you want to live up to for your parents to something larger, like working for an organization, whatever it is. I think if you have an association with something just larger than yourself or your faith, like any, any way that you want to slice it, it always inspires us to be really the best that we can be. The countdown continues after this. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table the Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. Number three. 
So, all right, on that note, what about your third piece of advice you have for listeners? I don't think the segue could be any better. My next piece of advice is real simple. Do not join the army. And so <laughs> everybody's going to be like, oh no, Joey's hating on soldiers. I'm not hating on soldiers. My best friend was in the army and I love soldiers, but don't join the army. There are four, now maybe even five with the Space Force branches of service. And you need to do a cost risk analysis here or, or risk benefit analysis and say, what am I giving and what am I getting? If you join the Marine Corps, you get to wear dress blues. If you join the Navy, you get to travel the world and sail into the coolest ports. If you join the Air Force, you're gonna have a nine to five job. How cool is that? And if you join the Space Force, you might get to go to outer space and at least be in the coolest thing. But if you join the Army, you are just going to work and that's all you're gonna do. And so just keep that in mind. I love the soldiers out there. I'm glad we have an Army but there's the most of them, so you're a little bit less unique. You do not have the coolest uniforms, and any soldier will tell you that. And you don't get the perks that you get from some of the other services like the Air Force and Navy. So if you're going to join the Army, either step your game up and be a Marine, which is awesome, or be more chill about it and go to the Air Force and just enjoy your time, get the uniform, get the ribbons, and go be a successful corporate person because you're probably pretty smart in the Air Force anyway. So <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm mostly joking here. I love my soldiers. <laughs> Of them I have in mind, but uh, that's the piece of advice I gave my nephew. And what he do? He, he joined the Navy and, and he's loving life. So there's. <laughs> I can't even support that because I, I can't even. <laughs> I think that I, that is all wonderful, but I I have to remain agnostic. But that's hilarious. <laughs> so I love it. And I thought you were actually going to say that your nephew joined the art when when joined the army. So I'm glad that he did take your advice. <laughs> well, my next piece of advice is for classic car owners. And I, you guys know I have a 72 Mach 1. I've had it for almost 15 years now. And it was something that I had this dream of getting this particular 72 Mach 1 for years and years. It was my screensaver on my computer and I had, you know, like a picture typed up to the mirror. And finally I, I was able to get one and, and it's just been like the joy of my life. But it's also been, you know, the, the financial hemorrhage of my life and <laughs> a pain in my rear and all of the above, right? Um, and my advice for classic car owners, or if you are dreaming about getting a classic car, and once you get it, is never sell it. Never, ever, 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 ever sell yeah. it. Because in all the years that I've owned my car and wrestled with it and, you know, just wanted to set it on fire myself and how many times <laughs> I've been stranded on the side of the road and, and but also, you know, all the joy and the freedom it's brought me. The one constant is the millions of stories that people always approach me with about how they had to sell theirs. Oh, my partner made me sell it. Oh, my, you know, whatever excuse it was, it, it always seems, it, it always breaks their heart. And I understand there are, of course, financial situations and, and there's times when maybe there's no choice. So that aside, never ever let anyone tell you or force you to sell your baby, your mechanical spirit animal, because once you have it, man, it's it's something you should never let go of. I agree completely. And, and on top of that, you know, there are certain things in life that you might get them at a deal, but you'll never get your money back out of them anyway. And I think that classic cars are at the top of that list with maybe like boats and uh, and things of that nature where the money you put into it, you're doing it as a passion project. You're not going to get your money out of it. And what you get from that classic car, even though the joke in my family was, 
when you own a hot rod is what we call them because all of our classic cars were hot rods is you 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 they're a seven day a week car because you work on them six days a week to drive them on sunday and then they break <laughs> sunday evening and you work on them six more days because you know it's it's a constant evolution it's a project and when you own a, a classic car for me it's motorcycles i have a, an older harley that i ride and i'll never get my money back out of it but i'll also never get more you know less than my money's worth out of that one day a week i get to ride it and feel cool and share that with my son and i come from a ford family so i love that you have a mustang um you know mopar kind of cornered the market on really cool hot rods my family had plenty of those but my dad always drove a ford truck and my uncle always raced a ford race car and if i ever get into a hot rod it'll probably be a classic ford truck with a with a big motor in it yes i foresee a new fox nation show in the making we could call it Ford kids. Um, I love it. No, I, I agree with you. And I think what's so funny too, and you probably had this experience too, given all your family had it, is like how many of my loved ones share that with me. That yeah. it's not like there are, <laughs> I was like, so many of them have been stranded with me. So many of them have had amazing experiences in that car with me. <laughs> and again, in terms of those, when people approach and share stories, so many of those stories were my so-and-so had this, like my brother, my friend, my boyfriend, um, you know, my mom, whoever it was. And oh my gosh, we loved it. It's, it's a shared passion. And it's one of those things that so many people can, can enjoy. And like that makes their, like gives them highlights. I mean, I broke down once with another cheerleader and the, <laughs> the highway patrol <laughs> had to give us the, it just, I like, I have a million stories I have so many friends and they to this day still tell them too that it's just like hilarious of course once once you're safe once you've gotten your safety confirmed that it's like all fun and games and it's hilarious and you know you wrench it yourself and you get back on the road but um like you said it's absolutely a labor of love number two for these last two pieces of advice you and i also have shared um categories here am i right with that we have yeah. two left and let's start with the next one, which is what is our favorite piece of advice that our parents gave us? Yeah, so I love this one. As some people know, you know, I lost my dad and both my grandmothers and at the end of the year last year. So I went through kind of a period and then right into COVID. So I went through this period of reflection of like, I'm so different than my dad. He had social anxiety. He wasn't super outgoing unless he had a beer or two in him and I don't even drink you know 99 percent of the time and so but i start seeing these little things about me little things that turn into big things and i'm just like my dad and i realized just how much he meant to me and what big influence he had on me but i always find myself quoting this one thing he said to me all the time which he was a brick mason so it makes sense but he would say everything worth your time is worth doing right and what he meant by that was so much in life today is just getting something done so you can move on to the next thing and you don't invest anything into it. You're just doing it on autopilot. And he was the man in my life and everyone around him's life who would have to go back and fix what the rest of us you know, did with, with little effort. And as a brick and block mason, you have to go into every job and every project like it's yours and you're gonna live in it forever because the stuff he made with his hands will last you know, a, a millennium. And so, or, or at least a century and uh, not to go too far ahead there. And, mm -hmm. um, and so he understood the necessity to slow down and do it right. And he would always add the caveat of, and it's worth doing right the first time. So don't, so you don't have to go back and redo it. And my personality is the opposite. I want to get it done and move on. I want to start a fire. I don't want to tend to fire. 
And so his words of advice are always coming back to me. If it's worth your time and if it's worth your effort, it's worth doing it correct. It's worth putting that effort into it. And uh, I've never followed that advice and, and steered wrong. It's always served me right. I love that. And I'm so sorry for your losses, but it sounds like you said the fact that you are realizing you're more and more like him every day. What an honor for his memory and what an honor for you. Thank you for sharing that with us. Mine is also from my dad. And I I also had like so much to choose from. My parents have both been, I just credit everything that I am today with them, their influence, their inspiration, everything. But I was trying to, you know, distill it down into one thing. And I think the thing that was so formative for me, one of them, and also regardless of my age, how much it still helps and influences me is, and this sounds like something that might come from down where you live, Joey, where you're from, but it's keep reloading. And my dad would say that to me. And I think for someone like me who um, was always reaching for the stars, I always had a million dreams and I was juggling a thousand things at once. So I was constantly getting rejected. I was constantly getting knocked back down on my feet because when you're trying for a million things, you know, you're obviously simultaneously failing at a million t- things too. <laughs> um, and every time he would say, that's okay, honey, keep reloading, keep reloading. And I think that that exemplified to me to never give up and that no, no, or no setback is worth giving up the whole dream. That no fatigue is permanent. That it's, you always pick yourself back up and keep going and keep motivating. And it also helped for me to put perspective into what seemed so terrible at the time, what these losses and no's and rejections felt like. In the millions of endeavors that I've pursued, there's been, you know, like I said, a, a commensurate amount of, of rejections, whether it's, you know, getting into schools or getting into law firms or, you know, get it, just et cetera, et cetera, like every step of the way. Um, and for him to instill in me that tenacity and the, it's no big deal, it's okay. It's, it's not the end of the world. You think it's the end of, of the world with your 16-year-old self or your 25-year-old self or even your 40-year-old self, but that's okay. You get back up and you reload and you try again. And that's been so formative for me. No, I love that. And, and what's great about that is, is you give your room, you give yourself room to fail. When you say keep reloading, it's not always succeed, but it's always attempt and always, you know, always move forward. And one thing I advice I give to a lot of the military personnel I mentor is set a goal, not because that goal is so important, but because the journey to it may bring you to the goal that matters. And so like, if you keep reloading and keep moving forward, you may not get where you wanted to go, but you'll get where you need to be. And, uh, and I love that. I think that's awesome. Number. 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 Number one. Five, four, three. Number one. Okay, well, it's time for our final piece of advice. So, Joey, what do you have for us for our grand finale? Yeah, this is my favorite piece of advice because it it's so core and fundamental and easy. This is what I say to my son. So first I told you what my dad said to me, and this is my interpretation back to my son. And so my son doesn't live with me all the time. He's with his mom most of the time. So when he comes down here, I feel like I got to lay the rules down and set the precedent early. And so the first thing I say to him is the difference between yes and yeah is one letter, a little bit of effort, but a lifetime of success. 
And so when I ask him, hey, do you want to go get dinner? And he says, yeah. You know, there's just a lack of respect and just a lack of effort there. But if he says yes or yes, sir, that's, you know, that shows determination and it shows respect and it shows that he's tuned in and he's ready to go and he's bought in and and he's going to lead by saying, yes, I'm ready to go eat. And so I try to instill that in him. And it just starts with your respect for people. And the best way to show respect for people is how you communicate. You can never say yes, sir, or yes, ma'am enough. It's impossible. You know, I'd say yes, ma'am to my niece since she was two years old and could talk. And if you go up north, you're going to get, you know, they're going to be like, ma'am, I'm not that old. So that's not why I'm saying ma'am, you know, but, but for the most part, I just try to instill in my son how important it is to show respect for both the person and the place and the event and what he has going on in his life by the way he communicates. So for me, the difference between yes and yeah is just a little bit of effort and a whole lot of results. Oh, I love that. That's so wonderful. I love that it really illustrates perfectly how something tiny can have such big magnitude, huge effects. And also it goes back to sort of what we talked about in the beginning, which is how you present yourself and how you represent yourself. And politeness goes leagues, oh my goodness, not respect for others. That immediately encourages them to respect you right back and shows the kind of character you have in that instance, right? It's such a small way of showing who you are in your character. So I love that. That's really wonderful. Yeah, I, I enjoy, you know, I have a little boy, so I got to raise him to be a man, and that's that's step one. Well, he is a lucky boy to have you as a dad. So my final piece of advice is actually sort of similar to my number four, but it really is, I think, the, um, the, like, the number one reason that I am sitting here today in the position that I'm in. And it's, it's never take no. And I want to qualify that that doesn't mean never take no from one person or from one source, but that in general, that you will never achieve your dream in a seamless fashion. And as you know all too well, also, Joey, your path is never straight. It's always going through course corrections and situations that you didn't expect and doors that you thought for sure would be open remain firmly closed. But I think the long-term no is not there. And it's only about your goal and your true north. And then the path to get there will be the unexpected. I have on my, in my email, like a thousand folders. And if I look down at them, they sort of represent every chapter of my life because in that chapter, I created all of these different folders for all of the different ways to get to where I wanted to go. So, you know, whether it's the attorney realm and job searching or the broadcasting realm and different avenues there, um, but they're all very neatly organized and all of them contains probably a good 150 no's at a minimum <laughs> i was you know and and i also think an example would be um that i was told i was too small to be a firefighter this was a long time ago and in between <laughs> college and law school um i was an emt and at the time i lived in california and i wanted to be a beach lifeguard didn't we all <laughs> so the first step was you know getting your, your lifeguarding and i got that you're my, my lifeguarding sir and i was just lifeguard and then um you have to get your get your emt so i did um, and then, so during my work with that and how many ride-alongs, like, oh my gosh, I 
gosh, you know, I would love to do this full time or, you know, part time as a as an endeavor, but I'm a really small person, as you know. I'm like, you know what, I'm still I'm still not gonna let that keep me from trying. There will be a way. We'll cut to um and I should say one of the qualifications to be a beach lifeguard where I grew up, where I lived, is that you had to be an EMT. And I lived in a small beach town of about 600 people in Northern California. And there were a lot of cliffs and a curvy uh, highway that ran through it. And bottom line, the chief of the fire department there approached me and said, hey, Em, you know, I know you're an EMT and we are looking for someone little, someone small to be part of our department because we need a cliff rescue basket person. We need someone who's tiny to fit in this apparatus. Um, and to serve in that capacity for us. And so I joined them and for two years, I moonlit in between law school and working in a law firm during the day um, as a volunteer firefighter for this small beach town and where my small size was an asset. And when you think about a firefighter, it wasn't that typical way that I served and I was on the ambulance corps. Um, but I made a difference and I had a great bedside manner and I know that I made a difference in a lot of patients and I got to fulfill a dream of mine in a different way than I ever expected and while also respecting and honoring the qualifications for that profession at the same time, right? So I would say that if I, going back to my larger point, if I accepted no's for my fundamental goal as the final answer, then I would be 50 steps behind and nowhere near where I am right now. But I never let one person's no impede another person's yes. I think um, after this, we've got to re rearrange your title to Emily Campagno Certified Bad A, because I think you have <laughs> done some pretty cool stuff. Thank you. Hardly, but thank you. I've had, I've, I've enjoyed the time I've been given here, that's for sure. <laughs> Well, I, I don't know. We've got five pieces of, of advice each here. I think we kind of covered the spectrum and then it was cool to see the places where we kind of came together. And uh, you've been a, a good friend to me and none of this stuff surprises me, but I did not know you were a firefighter. I didn't know that um, that you had such road rage um, <laughs> and I didn't know your dad was so cool. So I learned a lot today. Well, thank you, <laughs> And I just, to qualify, don't I don't quite have road rage but you know me i like to drive fast <laughs> but this has been so fun to i love getting time with you i feel like we, we are always we are like ships crossing in the night in the fox building but you really are one of my favorite people in the world and i'm so proud to be your colleague and i loved doing this with you today and i hope listeners that you guys had a great time with us also and i look forward to our our show one day joey you and i will have a show where we get to drive forward I hope so. I, I don't know if I'm brave enough to let you drive with all the stories you're telling me, but I think you'll do just fine. <laughs> well, thank you to everyone for listening. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at foxnewspodcast.com. And let us know your top five. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in free-fall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.